0: I want to remind everyone, including myself, because I think this is easy to take for granted. It's easy not to think about this consciously. God's word, the Bible, scripture, whatever you'd like to refer to it as, is not just a religious text. It's what God wanted his people to know. We call it inspired, that those words are what God wanted us to know about him, about ourselves, about the world and the situation that we're in, and I think it's really easy to forget that, to take for granted God's word. So as we go into it today, I want you to think about, if you can consciously, God is communicating to us. So would you please stand for the reading of the gospel? Hear the holy gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ according to Mark. Glory to you, Lord Christ. Mark chapter 14, beginning in verse 32. I encourage you to listen, hear, imagine. Um, So much of our scripture is given to us in story form, narrative form. We're meant to see it, to envision it. They went to a place called Gethsemane. And Jesus said to his disciples, sit here while I pray. He took Peter, James, and John along with him, and he began to be deeply distressed and troubled. My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death, he said to them. Stay here and keep watch. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Once more, he went away and prayed the same thing. When he came back, he again found them sleeping because their eyes were heavy. They did not know what to say to him. Returning a third time, he said to them, Are you still sleeping and resting? Enough! The hour has come. Look, the Son of Man is delivered into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us go here comes my betrayer, the gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Christ. Please be seated. If you have been paying any attention to the sports world, especially college women's basketball, you know that this past Thursday, Caitlin Clark broke the women's NCAA Division I scoring record. And it's not just that she did it, it's how she did it. So you may not be a basketball fan, but I just want you to envision this for a moment. This is a sold-out crowd. Not just sold out, but there were students selling their tickets because they could get so much money for the tickets. There were people that paid more than $4,000 for a ticket to witness history. History. Because she has been absolutely incredible. And here's what happened. Could you imagine just in her position for a moment? You are getting ready to break this record. The crowd is out there and it is packed. The opposing team wants to stop you. Um, How nervous are you in those moments? Like just wanting to get it over with. Just like, here's how the game went. Opening tip off. The Hawkeyes got the ball. She takes it down. She scores the layup. First thing she does, she scores. Next possession that the Hawkeyes have it, she gets it on the left side and makes a three pointer. Then, listen, two minutes and 12 seconds into the game, she gets a pass in midcourt, dribbles in. She is 40 feet from the basket. She is almost at mid-court. She throws the ball up, it swishes. Eight points, two minutes, and 12 seconds, she breaks the record. I mean, it is just insane. She has so much poise, so much control. Nothing seems to freak her out. And it's been like this her whole career. I'll give you a brief example. Her fourth game ever as a college player. She's a freshman. What do freshmen normally do on varsity teams? (laughs) Nothing. Um, Fourth game ever. They're down 17 points. They have a 38-game, a home-game record undefeated for 38 games in a row. It is on the line. In the fourth quarter, the freshman takes over, and with 22 seconds left, she scores a three-pointer that wins the game. There seems to be nothing that, like, she's just so poised, so in control. Have you ever known people like that? Like nothing seems to disturb them. They're just, no matter what it is, they're in control. They know what to do. I'm not sure I've ever known anybody quite like that. I've known people that like big things happen and they still seem to have their heads about them. They're still in control. I want to talk about a point in the life of Jesus where he's not in control. And it may be the only time we ever see it. When you think about his life, from the first recorded thing we have of him doing anything at 12 years of age, he's in the temple courts and he's wowing adult religious leaders. And when his parents show up after being away from them for a period of time, he's, he just says, didn't you know I'd be with my dad? I mean, it's, it, he's in total control. Religious leaders come to him and they're all trying to challenge him in every single time. He not only confronts what's wrong with what they're doing, but he gives the right answer. Even even at the beginning of his, his ministry, when he goes out into the desert, okay, if I miss a single meal, I get hangry. Jesus misses it for 40 days, and he is still in control. The devil comes after him, and he says, no, here's what the word of God says. Now go away. Like there is such control about him all the time. And even when those moments come, so he gets seriously angry when they turn the temple courts into a marketplace instead of a place of prayer. And he turns tables over and he runs people out. And yet, he still seems to be in control. It's not like he just loses it and starts like the Hulk or something. He still seems in control until this moment you need to know this story because it teaches us something so profound and significant about Jesus. Here's what happens. You've heard it twice. Now I'm just going to explain it. It begins in a somewhat normal way. Jesus is in control and he brings his disciples to a garden called Gethsemane. It is a garden they've gone to before. Nothing out of the ordinary yet. He brings them in. He says, I want you guys to sit here while I go and pray. Again, we've seen Jesus leave a number of times to go pray by himself. Not out of the ordinary. But there is one little thing that happens a little different. He says to Peter, James, and John, I want you guys to come with me. Now, not totally out of the ordinary because there was a little girl who had died and as everyone was weeping and Jesus goes into the house, he takes Peter, James, and John with him. We just saw last week at the Transfiguration, it's Peter, James, and John that he brings up the hill with him before he shows them the power of the kingdom. So it's not completely out of the ordinary that he'd say to these guys, come with me as we go over here. So he brings them and We have to ask this question. Why does he keep bringing these three? And and you might answer it by saying, well, Peter has been designated the leader, he's the rock. James and John are cousins and successful businessmen. They're like the sons of thunder. I mean, these are, it makes sense. But I would argue there's something different in this moment. But the reason he brings these three guys, we will see in his words. So he brings them. They, they walk a, a, away for a little bit. And Jesus looks at them. And Mark uses this word in, in Greek. He begins. And it's really significant. He begins to what? He begins to be alarmed. It's a strange word. It describes someone on the verge of panic. Have you ever thought of Jesus being on the verge of panic? He's walking. He's got his disciples over there. He takes these three with him. He says, come with me. And then he looks at them. And they see something in him they have never seen. This look that he is not in control at the moment. Something is happening internally in him where he is shaken. On the verge of panic. And the second term that is used there is troubled. He's troubled. He is panicked and he's troubled. And it is not because Jesus has suddenly like, figured out something he didn't know before. It is because this is the moment. This is the moment it begins. Everything that he has been preaching and thinking about the rejection, the betrayal, the beatings, the cross, the moment where he will say, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Right now, he knows it's about to begin. It's as if it all hits him. Have you ever been thinking about something for a long time? Maybe it was a vacation. And you've just been thinking and thinking, and then one day... You wake up and you're like, oh, it's here. Or maybe it was something really bad that you've been waiting for. You knew it was coming. But when it finally gets there, there's something so real because it sinks in. This is happening. I think that's what's happening. It's real. And why does he bring these three with him? I think they're his closest friends. This is what I want you to get. He is fully human. We have to know this about him. Because everything else he does takes on less significance. Unless you realize he's fully human. And this is the most traumatic thing we've seen up to this point in his life. And he needs his friends. I mean, these are the three guys that I think, if Jesus were going to go to the game, he'd have brought Peter, James, and John. He'd have gone and watched Caitlin Clark break the record with Peter, James, and John. If he's going to go have a beer, it's going to be with Peter, James, and John. Like, they're his buddies. I think they were all his friends. He had friends. I think these were the closest. Have you ever considered Jesus having friends? Or even more, needing them? He needs his friends because this moment is real. Everything is happening. He looks at them and he says these words. My soul is very sorrowful to the point of death. That last part, I'm going to restate this because this is what he says. And you need to get this because maybe there's some point in your life you felt this way. My soul is very sorrowful so much so I want to die. That's where he's at. It's that bad. Please stay here and watch, he tells them, because he needs them near him. And then he walks away, but it's close enough that he can see them. They can see him. They probably could even hear him. And then he does something that, like, you guys know because I taught you this a while back. The traditional way of praying is to stand with your arms lifted up. That is probably the way Jesus prayed most of the time. It's probably the way they were most of the time praying, but not here. He is so overwhelmed. He falls onto his face. And then he says, Abba, Father. And you might have heard this as well, that Abba is this Aramaic word that means something like dada or daddy. It's like what little kids would use. Um, And that's not really accurate. Little kids would use it. But so would grown kids. It was a term of intimacy. It was a way of saying father or dad, but the emphasis was the intimacy. He falls on his face and he says, Abba, please take this away. What is it that he wants taken away? He calls it the cup. Remove this cup. And what we see that term used in Jeremiah, we see it in Revelation, it is this term that means the wrath of God. What Jesus is about to do, let this sink in, the perfect, sinless son of God is about to have the wrath of God poured out on him for all of the sins of the entire world. Everything that you and I have or will ever do in rebellion poured out on him. And not only that, in that moment, he will say these words, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? I'm going to go into more detail of this later, later on. All I want to say is this, in some way, in that moment, there is an alienation between father and son that has never happened. And this is so overwhelming for him that he says, please take it away. And don't miss that. Earlier on, just recently, Peter when Jesus was saying, "I'm going to be handed over and betrayed and I'm going to die," Peter said, "Took him aside and rebuked him." Jesus said, "It's not going to happen." And Jesus then rebuked Peter for it. Do you know what Jesus is doing right now? God change your plan. I know we've agreed on this from the board the foundations of the world. But I want it different. I don't want to do this. How bad must it be? I don't want to do this. And yet, at the end, what does he say? Not my will, but yours be done. Then he goes back to his friends and he finds them asleep, he finds them resting. I can hardly imagine what that was like. Have you ever been let down? Have you ever had the people you really needed let you down? Jesus did. These guys he brought and said, please, I need you praying and watching. and, And they fall asleep. It's late. They've had the Passover meal. They've drank a lot of wine. They fall asleep on him. Jesus then wakes them up. And he says to them, I want you to watch and pray. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. That's a key that we'll spend just a little bit of time on in a minute. And then he leaves them. Boy, don't, don't miss this. And the way Mark describes it, it really hammers it home. He leaves them and he goes back and he does what? He prays the same thing. I find that incredible. Because here's what happens. Jesus went away and he spent probably an hour. Because he says to Peter, could you not watch for one hour? He'd probably spend an hour seeking God, saying, please take this from me, Abba. Take this from me. Nevertheless, I'm going to do your will. Then he goes away, and he comes back, and he begins to go, God, please take this from me. I thought this was settled. It's Jesus, right? He's already said, God, your will be done, and yet he's back again. Saying, take it from me. I don't want this. To me, that is not what I think about with Jesus. I think about the guy who goes, your will, no matter what. I'll just go do it. And yet here is the fully human son of God. Who's already said this, God, your will. And yet he's back asking him to change it again. Then he goes back to his friends. He finds them asleep. Get up. Then he goes back again, and then he goes back to his friends, and he says, enough, the betrayer's here. I think the only reason he stopped going back is because he couldn't anymore. The betrayer is here. The time has come. And at that moment and from that point on, Jesus is back in control. Everything he does, and we'll see it as we walk through Lent, he is back in control. But there is this moment where Jesus is on the verge of panic There's this moment where Jesus is let down by his friends, where he needed them, where he didn't want God's plan. He wanted something else. We need to see that in him. And it leads me to just a couple of things. What do I take from this? What can we take from this? Number one, Jesus really does understand the human condition. He really, really does understand what it means to be human. He understands when you have been betrayed. He understands when you've been let down. He understands when you don't want what God is doing in your life. He really gets these things. He understands when you need a friend. Like, he gets the human condition. He gets what it means to be fully human. This week, um, I was playing a new game with my five-year-old. And it's a game that he loves now. And we just have to play it all the time. And partway through the game, I had to stop and do something. And so he starts playing trains. And he drops one of his trains. I shouldn't say this. Um, I might get in trouble for it. Um, he was playing trains on top of his dresser. Um, <laughs> and so the train fell off, and he couldn't get it. And he goes, Dada, get my train. And this is my sad face. <laughs> and he goes, when I'm sad, I draw or I need a hug. And he goes, Dad, show me your sad face. So I showed him my sad face. And he goes, show me your happy face. And I showed him a happy face. I don't know where he gets these things. Show me your overwhelmed face. <laughs> when does a five-year-old get overwhelmed? <laughs> um, but, but we went through this litany of faces. And we all have them. Why? Because we're all human. We all know what sadness is and happiness and excitement and all these. We know what that is. And we can often see it on each other's faces. We occasionally misread them, but there's something so human to all those emotions. Jesus knew them, and he expressed them, and he showed them his panicked face in that moment. And that leads me to my second thing, and I'm going to tie them together here. Jesus did not struggle alone. We should not either. And I'm going to make this as strong as I can. It is not strength to struggle alone it is stupid don't forget that it is not strength i know we live in this you know american culture of i can do it but we're not made that way human beings the only thing god said in creation that wasn't good for a man to be alone It's not strength for us to stand up and have to do it all. When you go through things, it's good. It's okay. It's human to need other people, to need to have somebody sit with you, to go with you, to feel overwhelmed and need to just let it out, to feel like you need to lean. I honestly think part of what Jesus was doing is leaning on their strength, even though they let him down. That is okay. It is what we need. Learn to accept help. Learn to ask for help. Don't go it alone. And especially, ask Jesus for help. No matter what it is. No matter how vulnerable or how pathetic it might feel. Because he went through so much. He is our great high priest who understands. You can bring it to him and he's going to go, Yes, I get it. I understand, and that is really, really significant. Um, That five-year-old I was talking about, um, he has autism, and we recently changed insurances. And when we changed insurance, his speech therapy was no longer covered for more than 20 sessions in a year. It's not even every other week. You cannot do speech therapy like that. So I had to call the insurance company. Let me ask you, when is the last time you called the insurance company and actually won? (laughs) But I had to do it. It's my kid, right? So I call, and I'm trying to explain to them, like, this is not right. You cannot give an autistic child only 20 sessions of speech therapy in a year. And the guy's working through things, and I was on the phone with him for probably half an hour. He put me on hold, and at some point he said, well, they're, they're marking him as this being a disability. Like, this isn't a disability. And he's like, yes, I know. Let me, let me see what I can do. And so he goes away again, and he comes back. And he goes away again, and he comes back. And finally, he comes back, and he goes, I think you are right. I have found enough, and I've talked to a manager. This is being escalated. And by next Friday, you need to get a call that's going to tell you one way or another. And I'm like, what is it? I mean, what is up with this guy? Like, nobody does this. And finally, I said, thank you so much. Like, I can't believe you'd go through this. And he goes, My daughter has autism. Of course, you would do this. You know. You know what I am going through. And you know it's not right. That's Jesus. Go to him. Because he knows. He knows what you're going through. And he wants you to come. And lastly, and this is where I will end, Jesus fought the right battle. He said, the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Far too often, we're fighting the flesh. We're fighting in our flesh. That's what they were doing. And here's what he means, and I'm going to explain this as quickly and as succinctly as I can. Flesh here is not a reference to our sinful nature. It's not what Paul is talking about in his epistles. This means our human frailty. This was why they couldn't stay awake. Have you ever been watching a movie late at night and you really want to see the end, but then you wake up because someone taps you on the shoulder? No matter how hard you tried, you couldn't stay awake. It's part of our human frailty. What Jesus says to them is that, I know in your spirit you want to pray. You want to stay awake, you want to support me, you want to watch. I know you do, but your flesh is weak. And if you just try to go, I will do this, you will not. You will fail in your flesh. And, and this is where I can't spend much time, the ways we fight the flesh so often are things like my guilt and my shame how I feel about myself, my insecurities, all of these things, where we're fighting all of that, instead of recognizing the truth, Jesus said, hear this, if you are a believer in Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit lives in you and you want to do the right thing because the Holy Spirit is prompting you to do it. But you cannot fight a battle of just going, I will do it, I will do it. Where Jesus went was prayer. Connect with God. Lord, give me strength. Lord, I need you right now. I know the Spirit is wanting me to go the right direction. I need your strength. I need you to lead me. Jesus told them to pray. Jesus went to prayer, and he does it over and over again. And he even said one time when they couldn't cast out a demon, this one only comes out by prayer. Prayer is where we must go if we want the Spirit to win the battle. Don't fight the wrong one. We were having issues in our kitchen for quite a while. It kept tripping the breakers. I could not do an entire load and the dishwasher without it going off partway through at some point. And I wanted to figure out, I mean, we use the dishwasher every single night because we have six people in our family. So I was doing a lot of hand washing, and I was sick of it. So I was like, what is wrong with this dishwasher? So I kept looking through, and I did all this research online. And I found out that certain, the heating element is probably the issue. Like I could see some mess with it, like it had been scraped or something, and, and that would overload it and doing all this stuff and could not figure it out. And I came close to buying a new dishwasher, got an electrician to come see it, the electrician, like, yeah, it might be that. I'm not really sure we're trying to figure things out. It could be wiring. It could be GFI. I mean, all this stuff. And I'm like, all right, I'm going to leave it to you. So he goes down. And he's like, I cannot figure out what is wrong. But I'm going to go ahead and replace the breaker circuit for just that one thing. He replaced it. It has not tripped since. I almost bought a new dishwasher <laughs> instead of a $20 circuit breaker. And all the hassle and everything else because I was fighting the wrong battle. Pray and believe that the Spirit of God in you wants to do the right thing. And as you're doing it, come to the Lord no matter what, because He understands. Even He needed friends, even He needed others. We do too. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for this glimpse into the life of Jesus. Where we get to see something in him that teaches us just how fully human he really was. Lord, help us to take that to heart and to see the fullness of who our Savior really is. In Jesus' name, amen.